Welcome in everyone to the 18th episode of the Deep Dive Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host Colin and my co-host, he's back, it's Toby. Training Camp Stories. That's right, this week we are going to be going through every single team, 32 teams, and we're going to be talking about the biggest news story from each training camp that is going on right now. I'll let you all know that we're recording this on Thursday morning, so any news that comes out today on Thursday is not going to be included on this. I'm sure there will be at least one big story that we will miss. This is all of the stories up until Wednesday night. And emphasis on stories here. A lot of these things we are going to have to prognosticate on coach speak. And we know coach speak is not always factual. They are stories for a reason, but they're also stories that you can and should react to, to a certain extent. One thing I'm going to say right off the bat in regard to that is that everyone's getting hyped at this point. So the... I'm hyped. <laughs> but every individual player, their coaches, oh, this guy, he's mm-hmm. incredible. Everyone's incredible. And some of them are even getting cut while being incredible, according to the coaches. What's really important to look out for is when you get negative reports from coaches, that is absolutely stuff to look deeply into. And on brand with that, (laughs) someone that I have been on record calling this player overrated from the Patriots, our first team, it's Nikhil Harry. And the quote is that Nikhil Harry is struggling to run away from Pat's starting secondary. And you think, oh, that's fine. They're a pretty good secondary. But the news behind this is that Harry revealed on Tuesday that he's slimmed down a bit from his listed weight of 225, and it's apparently yet to translate to more separation on the field. And continuing off of his mediocre rookie season, it's a major concern for a player who hasn't been a great separator even in his college tape. He was much more known for that contested catch rate. Yeah, as you said, the last thing you want to hear coming out of camp at this point are negative reports. And Akil Harry is doing nothing for me to raise his ADP. I mean, for me, while this doesn't necessarily push his ADP even lower, it more or less confirms my feelings about him, being that I'm not going to be ending up with him. Yeah, I'd be selling him if I owned him. Next up from the Buffalo Bills, a player that we've talked about before as a good sleeper to pick up, Isaiah Hodgins has been making several contested catches and is impressing in camp. It's noted that he's been running very fluid routes and has used his length well to catch the ball away from his body. It's not a lot here. It's the classic type of hype you get on a lot of players, especially rookies. But it's good to hear out of a guy who was taken late in the draft in the fifth round. And it's a guy that we like to look at at the very end of a deep rookie draft or very deep into a startup. He's a good guy if you can throw him on a taxi squad for a year or two that you should add. Absolutely. Speaking of young rookie wide receivers, we're going to move to New York now. The Jets wide receiver Denzel Mims has injured his hamstring while running routes in practice. How concerning is this to you, Colin? It's actually quite concerning. Of course, we're talking dynasty, so it shouldn't affect him in the super long term. He's still an asset that I really love and I really want, but a part of the upside of Mims compared to many other of the wide receivers in this class is the opportunity that he has with his only real competition being Jameson Crowder and Brashad Perryman. So that's looking a lot worse. His chances to get on the field right away. It is reported that his injury is a little more serious. He remains without a timetable return. And in the wake of his injury, 
The Jets very quickly signed Chris Hogan, and they're also bringing Dante Moncrief into the building, so they're really looking at extra wide receiver depth. Another report, just somewhat related, is that Jameson Crowder was reported to be very clearly the best wide receiver, and my response to that is, he better be, because they don't. he doesn't have much competition. He yeah. is still a value. He's someone I really want to look at. And yeah, if he's not clearly the best wide receiver, I would be surprised. So that's really not too much of news to me. It's not. It's also kind of worrying that Mims didn't do enough. I, obviously, he's injured very early, but you'd like the coach to say, you know, James Crowderson's the best receiver out there right now. Going to wait and see how we get Mims. There wasn't stuff like that. It's I think it's clearly established. Crowder is the best, and I agree he's the best wide receiver right now, but I'm definitely cooling a bit on Mims. At least in redraft, I would totally take yeah, him I'm off the table. Yeah, no chance. Speaking of um, wide receivers who do not have some injuries, moving over to the Miami Dolphins, Preston Williams has practiced with no restrictions on Monday, this referring to his knee. Preston Williams seems to be the locked and loaded wide receiver, too, for the Dolphins now. I know you're a little hotter on Preston Williams than I. I am interested in him just because of the lack of other receiving options around him. Mm -hmm. One thing that I think is very interesting, though, in terms of his immediate value is if you actually look at their schedule for the first half of the year, they are playing a gauntlet of very solid secondaries. I don't think they're going to come out firing at all. I also think... Most likely, because of that, Fitzmagic is probably going to get pulled. Maybe at the end of that string of games, they're going to bring in Tua. But if anything, I could see looking deeper into his route running and play beyond his stats. Because I don't think his stats are going to be good to start the year. But if I like what I'm seeing on the field, I think the buying window will be a few weeks into the season. Sure. Getting into the next division now and starting with the Baltimore Ravens. The piece of news is that Marquise Brown has gained 23 pounds this offseason and is up to 180 after playing at 157 as a rookie. This is a bit of a shock to me because it's just such a massive difference. I was looking today on a report from ESPN about his 4,000 calorie diet and... (laughs) It's, it's all healthy food. He's just loading up. He says that he thinks he can still keep his speed with the added poundage. And he also said that the Ravens, in his off-season training, sent him a GPS tracker to make sure he wasn't losing his speed. He was testing himself. But it's a little concerning. Obviously, that could raise his upside if he was able to maintain the same speed and an ability to run routes at a a higher weight that would be great but it's just a little concerning to see yeah i think a little concerning i also find that some of the weight reports that come in to do with wide receivers and running backs i rarely see a strict formula in terms of is adding weight or is losing weight good for this reason bad for this reason it's so contextually based and i would agree with you putting on almost you know 20 extra pounds or 23 in this case. Pretty nuts. Pretty nuts. Same division moving on to the Pittsburgh Steelers. We do have some conflicting Ben Roethlisberger reports. The underlying fact is that Ben Roethlisberger is 100% back and good to go in terms of he's going to be the QB1. He's expected to play. He's going to be that guy. Um, The Athletic has had some reports saying that the velocity of his throws looks fine, but that the throws kind of remind 
onlookers of Philip Rivers in their unconventional delivery. This was from Kabali in The Athletic. This happened on Monday, and you can kind of understand that obviously coming off the elbow surgery, Ben's release might be a little bit different. Ben himself has admitted that his spirals aren't as tight as they want him to be. However, just on Wednesday, Kabali then reported that his throwing arm was looking more than just fine and was heaping on praise. So I think the biggest thing to take away is that Ben's working on it and he is going to be getting work. Maybe they're going to turn into more of a West Coast offense, but I think they're comfortable letting him throw the ball. I would just really continue to monitor this story mm-hmm. throughout till if you're doing a redraft or just looking at trades or whatever, look at reports going closer and closer to the season because if he is continuing to alter his throwing arm, even if you know his he's looking good in practice, if he is changing his throwing motion at this point, it's very concerning for me that he may not hold up. He could run into more injuries. I just really don't want him to be overcompensating for an injury. Hopefully, by the time we're nearing the season, all the reports will be that he's looking great, he's throwing back to normal, and then you can absolutely disregard something like this. Next up with the Cleveland Browns, our note is that Nick Chubb is in the league's concussion protocol. So this happened on Tuesday. He got hit in practice and has joined the concussion protocol. Obviously, it's not good. He is expected to be available for any meaningful games next month. This is definitely not a bad time for your player to get a concussion. Like, you should, unless it was an incredibly bad concussion, he should be fine in a month from now. But it's always just concerning to see any of your players get a concussion. This is the first one of Nick Chubb's career, and you just hope that he doesn't get more because... Of course, with any asset, if you start piling up concussions, that can be really Mm -hmm. bad long-term. On the flip side of that, I can also see the Browns organization putting him in concussion protocol, even if it's a super minor one, because right now is totally the time to do that. So, well, yes, it's obviously a bad thing. It doesn't worry me too much. I think think he's going to be there for week one. They say he's going to be there for week one. I buy it. Yeah, I I assume that it won't be long and he'll be back, but... Of course, if he isn't back and we're three weeks from now, then you really need to start getting worried. (laughs) Now to the Cincinnati Bengals. The story here is that the wide receivers are missing from camp. First of all, big scary note, you've got AJ Green who has already (laughs) tweaked his hamstring during practice. You can pair that with T. Higgins who has been sidelined with a hamstring injury as well. And third... John Ross has left the Bengals camp to take care of his son after his son and his son's mother have tested positive for COVID. Super unfortunate. So there's three wide receivers, and I'll throw out that uh, Zach Taylor is apparently really impressed with Auden Tate, who might become relevant. So who knows? Maybe he's a guy to look at. But honestly, the headline, of course, here is A.J. Green. The man who has not been able to stay healthy has already tweaked his hamstring, and apparently it's not too bad, but alarm bells are just going off. That's scary stuff. You do not want to see that from a guy like AJ. Yeah, I feel bad for the guy, and I think all the warning bells that were apparent heading into the season are now at the very least ringing slightly, so 
it's one of those situations you just got to keep monitoring. Yeah. And his age and his injury rate, got to look at it. Mm-hmm. If we're in camps two weeks from now and the reports aren't out that he is back to normal and running like no, if, if that him. hasn't happened yet then stay far away because honestly that could be it if he starts having a year full of hamstring issues yeah that's trouble for someone like aj green on the houston texans bill o'brien talked up an increase in the team's usage of 21 personnel meaning two running backs and one tight end this season also, the running backs coach said that having David Johnson and Duke Johnson on the field at the same time could make it harder for defenses to recognize their offensive schemes. Basically, there's been a lot of buzz about Bill O'Brien wanting to switch up this offense to confuse defenses, and this is now a couple of coaches talking about this specific change to using both of these running backs. Obviously, they can both be used in a pass-catching sense. That's what both David Johnson and Duke Johnson excel at. So I think it's really interesting and mostly it might be a bit of a bump up for Duke Johnson. He is a very good receiver when used and if he can just get some extra reps out of the slot, he's that makes him that much more interesting for me to pick up as a handcuff type running back. I would also say that the Texans are going to be a more run heavy team this year. And for anyone who did get burned by David Johnson last year, myself included, you got to recenter and refocus your thoughts on DJ here. He's going to be on a much different offense for a much different team. And when you hear news pieces such as this, I think he's going to be catching passes along with Duke Johnson. So it's exciting. It's exciting. He's going to be utilized. From the Tennessee Titans, all we've got here, not too many headlines. It's some Johnny Smith hype. One of their coaches says that when you have a guy on your offense that can do so many things, you can be creative and find a way to get him touches. He's a perfect fit for the Titans run-focused, yak-friendly attack. It's Jonu time. Yeah, Jonu Smith. uh, The hype train is continuing to roll. All we've been hearing is positive reports about how good he looks. Obviously, finished off in the playoffs with a lot of success. Everything's been building up to this season. And Jonah Smith is a guy I love taking a shot at who could be that type of breakout tight end. Jonah Smith is a guy who's going to get the ball a lot for the Titans, I think. Especially because their wide receiving core, apart from A.J. Brown... Yeah, he could be the number two receiver, honestly. He, he easily could be. And Derrick Henry's not going to revolutionize no. the screen game anytime soon. <laughs> Speaking of good wide receivers, though, let's move to Indianapolis, where Paris Campbell is quote-unquote, starting to resemble the star the Indianapolis Colts believe they drafted in the second round in 2019. I actually just watched a YouTube video before we recorded this. This guy can get separation in two to three steps just because of how fast he is. Mm -hmm. He could really excel in the slot. Frank Reich said that he looks strong, fast, explosive, he has good hands, and he understands the offense, and that he is consistent. A lot of praise for Paris Campbell. I like him as a type of guy who could take a second-year step forward. And the reason why I especially like targeting is because he is very cheap right now. Totally. I think you can completely explain away why he had a down rookie season. And even though they drafted a new wide receiver who could be the future alpha of the team, he's. Ba- I would assume that Michael Pittman is basically going to replace T.Y. Hilton. And yeah. Paris Campbell could absolutely still excel in that slot role, especially in a year 
with Philip Rivers, who doesn't like to throw to anyone further away than the slot. Another up-and-coming wide receiver to talk about, down in Jacksonville for the Jaguars, Visca Chenault. Has impressed coaches and teammates with his route-running toughness and sure hands. I think we knew that just as a physical specimen, he'd draw a bit of buzz, but he seems to be doing all the right things for his team here. Yeah, Gardner Minshew talked him up a lot. He was talking about how a, how much of a freak athlete he is, and the reports from beat reporters is saying that he has stood out in 11-on-11 drills, showing he could fight through press coverage and run precise routes. I've really heard nothing but great things about Chenault since they got there to camp. He's really impressing, and everyone around him seems to be raving about his ability. He's a guy that I am getting more and more excited about, honestly. Mm -hmm. I think just after the draft, he was not a guy I was super hot on, and that hype is growing a bit for me. I'm excited to see what he can do. Moving on to the next division, being the AFC West. This first one, I don't mean to tease you with this, but yes, the Chiefs are projecting Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as their featured back. <gasps> they are practicing him as the featured back. It's not DeAndre this Washington? Guy. It's not DeAndre Washington. Daryl Williams is crying tears. But yeah, the CEH hype is it's getting sky high to the point that I am seeing him in Mox on Sleeper. I saw him go 101. <laughs> I mean, it, it's dumb, <laughs> but he's yep. he's a bonafide first-round pick now, and he's going to be used as that feature back, I believe, this report yeah. entirely. Yeah, he's going to be incredible this year, and as soon as Damian Williams opted out and they didn't bring in a high-profile guy... Yeah, he's the guy. It's full throttle. He's going to be incredible. Don't need to say more. From the Denver Broncos, there's been a lot of hype about second-round rookie wide receiver K.J. Hamler. Hamler has shown flashes of greatness at training camp. Broncos.com thinks that K.J. Hamler can make a great, can make a big impact early in this season. I don't know about you, but I have scoured over a lot of Twitter hype, especially to do with a specific route he run. I don't know if you saw it. It really blew up quite a bit where he just totally beat the DB with the double move, got to the outside. It was a very clean route. And honestly, I've seen a lot more hype for KJ Hamler than I have for Jerry Judy out of the Broncos. I don't know if that is just because everyone knew to be excited already about Judy, so they're not blown away. But all reports from Hamler so far is that he is going to be, that he has been very effective and that's coming from me as a guy who is not very hot about him out of college at all, but I can respect that if he is showing his stuff at training camp, if he's going to be featured in this offense, he could do a lot of damage, especially in the deep game. Yeah, and I think these flashes of greatness need to be consistent throughout August. Mm -hmm. Like, we're talking about him running clean routes. We can't have just one highlight route for him in order to get him to kind of those those levels of draftability we want him to get to. I'd be interested to see if every single day he's beating guys in practice consistently. That's when I'm going to be, I think, more interested in him. Kind of obviously, but I think, I don't know, the one high piece, not fully convinced yet. No. It's funny how this happens, but the minute I selected him super late in the Scotty Fishbowl draft, 
I suddenly became very interested in Hamler. <laughs> like, oh, now I like yeah. Hamler. Oh, yeah. he's going to he's going to be really good in that uh, best ball mm-hmm. format. He's I know he's going to catch me a few deep touchdown passes. We're going to head over to the Oakland Raiders who have another situation that parallels this in terms of the wide receivers, and that is that rookie Brian Edwards is getting first team reps over Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs being the first wide receiver taken off the board in this 2020 draft. Colin, does this shock you? Not that much. They're going to play different roles, but honestly, what does shock me is that there is no player in the league that is getting the current immediate dynasty hype that Brian Edwards is. Like His value is skyrocketing to people, and I will say, first of all, it's an overcorrection because I've always been pretty high on him. Mm -hmm. I don't know who was fading him in the first place, but I don't think you should make it go too far i've seen twitter polls where people are saying which of the two rookies out of the raiders camp do you want and i'm sorry guys it has to be the first wide receiver taken in the nfl draft it's still henry ruggs even though i love brian edwards i'm still targeting him but i hope the hype doesn't go too far the reports are coming out saying brian is a violent runner and that's a good thing that's coming from Carr. Carr also continued he reminds me of Devontae Adams, s- someone where there's just a trust. I can throw it up one-on-one on those 50-50 balls. He's a guy that can not only use his physicality in the route, but also when he's in the air. So Carr is falling a bit in love. I can see why. I think he's going to be fantastic. And in a, in a related post, I saw one of the news articles when I was looking up each of these today is that Tyrell Williams might not be a featured wide receiver for this year. I would not be surprised. I was just going to say Tyrell Williams is probably (laughs) so mad hearing Derek R. hype up the rookies. I would not be surprised if Brian Edwards can just take over for that role that Tyrell Williams had. Yep, absolutely. Here's a piece of news that may make you frustrated from the Los Angeles Chargers. Anthony Lynn says that Tyrod Taylor will probably be our day one starter again. The probably is what is kind of frustrating as we don't clearly have the delineation. I don't think hard knocks, although I've only seen episode one, so maybe I shouldn't even bring it up. Maybe I'll give you the tiniest bit of a spoiler, but the one moment that they really focused on this quarterback situation in LA for the season was they really highlighted how different of an offense Herbert was running through college and the fact that he started every snap by clapping and that he didn't even know how to vocalize the different plays and how to like legitimately like call out hut in the right tempo in the right way that the offensive line Mm. is used to and that i think they really highlighted that there's still quite a big learning curve in front of herbert this really doesn't he says maybe tyrod taylor's gonna start the year i'm pretty confident in that but what they're also showing in Hard Knocks is that people are impressed with the balls that Herbert are throwing. He is throwing some nice passes and everyone's raving about the potential, but I still do think it's going to take a bit. And honestly, it'll probably need their team to be losing quite a bit for Herbert to come in. I think Tyrod has the job until their team isn't doing so well. Into the NFC now, we're going to start off with the Eagles and possibly the biggest news that's come out this week. It's that the Eagles have listed Miles Sanders as a week-to-week with a lower body injury. Yikes. On Monday, 
Doug Peterson said that Miles Sanders would be the guy in the Philadelphia backfield this season. He was hyping him up, saying they were going to feed him, and then it was reported that he is out week-to-week, lower body injury, but at least as of right now, it is speculated that he will be ready to play in week one. Does this scare you off of Miles Sanders? I would say that in your dynasty drafts, even in redraft, there's a kind of group of running backs that are going right around him. This news is one of those things where if I am put with a tricky situation, he's going to fall a little bit here for me. Miles, Are you talking redraft or dynasty, though? How much does it affect his dynasty? Because I agree, as at least if I'm doing redraft, a redraft draft right now, it scares me. Obviously, you'll know more by the time most redraft leagues are actually drafting. But in Dynasty, if you're doing a startup right now and you're looking down him versus Josh Jacobs or him versus Mixon, does this really move the needle? I don't think this piece of news itself moves the needle. I think I want to be wary of Doug Peterson's actions in terms of Obviously, even if there's a small guy signed to the running back room, how much is this going to impact him? How long does this week-to-week play out for? What things are posted more in respect to Boston Scott? Those type of details. I just think that when Doug Peterson says he's the guy, I don't know if I fully buy it yet. And when he gets these injuries, it's for those reasons why I wonder what being the guy actually means for Doug Peterson. One thing I will say is Boston Scott is also hurt with a lower body injury right now. Yeah, that's true. So even if they do bring in another running back, say it's just a small signing, that, that muddies yeah. the water a little bit. Is is that Does that mean anything for Miles Sanders? Or is At it that a, point, insurance. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to know. But I will say that the longer they are not signing another running back, the more confident I am that Miles Sanders is ready. Because if there is a chance that they do not think that they will have him for week one. I don't think they're going to go into a game with Corey Clement and Boston Scott or possibly no. just Corey Clement. No, I, I can't imagine I them doing that. I see Freeman. Yeah, he's still floating out there, so wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Moving on down south, we go to the Dallas Cowboys, where new head coach Mike McCarthy says that Michael Gallup is a number one receiver in my view. Colin, I know you're a... You're a Michael Gallup truther. Are you happy to hear McCarthy say this? Yeah, honestly, I think it is a good reminder that we can't just write him off. Because I think it's very easy to. Cooper is not going away. And mm-hmm. CeeDee Lamb is the new hotness. And I love CeeDee Lamb. I know he is a better player than Michael Gallup. But that doesn't mean you just fade Michael Gallup. Oh, he's just a third wide receiver now. He's like, he's trash. You can't do it. Mike. Obviously, they have a new coach now, Mike McCarthy, and he says that, yes, he sees him as a number one receiver. He also says, obviously, to settle some of that hype down that he would have created, that he thinks he's very fortunate that they have three players with that level of potential, so it makes sense. He doesn't view Michael Gallup as his number one wide receiver. He just thinks that he is the skill level to be a number one receiver. Mm -hmm. He goes on that he was so impressed with what Michael did on film last year he was definitely one of the players that really jumped off the video during the offseason because he didn't know a whole lot about Gallup. So yeah, I just think that it is a good reminder to not fade Michael Gallup that hard. 
in drafts, it is difficult to push the button on Michael Gallup because the downside is there. But he was a 1,000-yard receiver last year in his second year, and you never know what's happening deep in the future. He's a good wide receiver, and I like to put my chips down on talent in the long term. He's going to find a way to produce, even if it's on a different team or if he's genuinely playing as the third wide receiver on a team, I still think he can produce solid numbers. On the New York Giants, Freddie Kitchens, who I didn't realize was now their tight end coach, is very impressed with Evan Ingram. My God. (laughs) He says that every aspect of Evan's game, we want to try to get better at each and every day. Evan's done an unbelievable job in staying focused and concentrating on even more specific to -to day-to-day just every single rep he's done a very good job basically it was just a lot of comments in an interview about how impressed Freddie Kitchens is with Evan Ingram thinks he has a lot of potential and that it can Mm -hmm. be a focal point of the offense it's just stuff you like to hear maybe you can't read that much into it but it's good to hear he's shown well in camp so far I just hope he can stay injured because I do think he'll be very good this year I love Evan Ingram loved him last year Love him going into this year, so I love hearing these things about him. I I think he's going to do even better this year. So yeah, this is this is just more news that feeds into my Evan fire here. Building on the team I talked about last week, Washington. I know I talked quite a lot about the difficult to decipher running back room, and just this week, the most recent report is that. Bryce Love being Washington's number two running back seems quite real. And that is based off the fact that when Adrian Peterson received a routine day off, Love was thrust into Washington's first team reps in practice on Wednesday and really impressed. And so what that really tells me is that, first of all, Adrian Peterson is running as the one right now. And in the early downs, Bryce Love is running as the number two. That means, as of right now, the odd man out is Peyton Barber. And that wouldn't... Honestly, like, if I am the coach or the GM of that team, I would cut Peyton Barber out of that group. (laughs) Like, like I think that's the right move. It's just a bit strange that they even brought him in in the first place, especially considering they thought they had Geis for the year two. It's just a bit of an odd signing. And I talked last week about how he was a bit unlikely to be cut because of his contract that he signed and how the guarantees worked. But if he's simply getting outplayed by these other two guys, they're going to eat what, in the grand scheme of things, is a small amount of money to cut the guy that is not performing nearly as well. And as of right now, I think that's how you have to look at this situation going forward. It's that Peyton Barber's the odd man out, and Bryce Love is at least looking like a good backup who could produce on early downs. I believe it. I think listening to that episode last week when you're talking about the Washington football team and just how murky their running back room is, Bryce Life Bryce Love does seem to be emerging as that number two guy where in dynasty formats he is being worth more and more of taking a shot on. Yeah, no. He's like again, if I was the coach or GM I would be starting him. I think he yeah. he could be better than Adrian Peterson. I would be looking at him or Gibson really as the two running backs that I want to be running out of my offense. Yeah, he's definitely mm-hmm. worth taking a shot on. 
Colin, here's a question. Do you remember last offseason when A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf posted a photo of their big muscular bodies? <laughs> yes, I do. And they just both blew up? Well, A.J. Dillon is trying to repeat this trend in Green Bay Packers because not only <laughs> is he impressing people at camp, but if you haven't seen the photos of his legs... <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> apparently, they're just making people fall in love oh, with the guy. Oh, it's true. But yeah, on a serious note, A.J. Dillon is garnering more hype. I think if you're an Aaron Jones owner, you can be substantially more nervous than you were just at draft day. A.J. Dillon doesn't seem to just be sitting in the RB room. He's getting some reps, he's impressing people, and I don't know. I think he's the goal linebacker. Mm-hmm. That might be it. I think that's probably it for this year. Okay. One thing that actually isn't written on our show sheet, but I think is important to bring up, is that another report came out this week that it is a priority for the Packers to sign Aaron Jones, and they're really working hard at an extension. As they should. Yeah, but that just makes the conflicting reports of these running backs so confusing to me. It's like their GM is saying that they think Dylan's built to last, they think he can play like Eddie Lacy was for a few years for their team. It's a lot of hype, a lot of great things, and yeah, they they really seem to be talking him up, but at the same time, I mean, Aaron Jones is incredible for them for the past few years, and if they're really going to be signing him, it's tough to know what A.J. Dillon's role is going to be. Ideally, if you want to use him as a focal point of your offense, you'd use him like Derrick Henry and run the ball down the defense's throats, but to use him a bit sporadically, maybe in like a Garrett Blunt role, it seems like a really weird way to use your second round pick, and they, I feel like they have to have more in mind for him. Speaking of running back situations fraught with tension, the Minnesota Vikings and Dalvin Cook having some issues. Sounds like Cook will apparently ride out the final year of his rookie deal and resume contract talks with the Vikings after the season. Eek. Scary. So, to reach free agency, Cook must play at least six games this season, leaving, I guess, the worst-case scenario if you're Zimmer, that Cook will play six games, put some plays on tape, and then um, chill in Cabo. Yeah, it's it's scary, man. And when you're an owner, in the long term, I think he's going to get paid, but it's starting to look like that might not be for the Vikings. From the Vikings' perspective... No matter which running back they're putting into their system, they're producing. So I actually Mm -hmm. don't think it's worth it for them to sign Dalvin Cook, an injury-prone yet really good running back, to a huge contract. I agree with them, I assume, being very hard-nosed in negotiations. They Mm -hmm. shouldn't pay up and give him a lot of guaranteed money. But at the same time, if you're Dalvin Cook... You, that's what you need to be going for. You need some guaranteed money. So Especially an injury-prone player. Yeah, it's, it's really difficult. It's, it's a hard. difficult situation, and I am scared for what it could mean for not only his long-term future, but also this season, because yeah. that's in the realm of possibility that he plays six games, he knows that the Vikings are not his future team, and he pulls a Melvin Gordon, Lev Bell-type situation. Moving on to... One of the more interesting quarterback battles in the league. In fact, I'll say it it is the most interesting quarterback battle. Chicago Bears news. Matt Nagy, head coach, 
declined to say if Mitchell Trubisky became a better player during the off season. Remember when we talked about pay attention to bad reports? Honestly, when I first read this news article, I thought it said that oh, he became a better player. That was like the quoted part of it. So I was like, "Oh, okay, that's interesting." So Matt Nagy's talking him up. No, he He's talking declined is, <laughs> declining it's to say that he's playing better. Ages about this. Yeah, and uh, there was some reports that Nick Foles was not going to be at camp right away, potentially, and that he might not join immediately. And I was thinking, okay, well, that really means that Trubisky's probably going to start the year. But Foles is there. He's impressing at camp. And yeah, yeah all that Nagy could say about Trubisky is that he doesn't have enough information right now. I, he wish he, he could tell you had enough, but there's just not enough with what we're at. We need to see more. I can't give you a fair statement or opinion on if Trubitsky has become a better player this offseason. It's scary stuff, and it's really making me lean towards the fact that even week one, it could be Foles that's starting. Yeah, I, I just think it signifies there's a battle going on. There's a battle going on. If Trubisky's going to be starting week one... He's got a pretty decent camp. So that's that's that storyline there. Yeah. Moving things over to the Detroit Lions. Poor Carry On. Carry On has been spotted in a knee brace. This news complemented by the signing of running back Jonathan Williams and the hype pieces on DeAndre Swift, recently drafted rookie, impressing coaches in the passing game. Carry On stock is going down seemingly by the day. Just how low is it, Colin? He's a backup. He's a he's mm. an, he's a better than average handcuff. Sure, <laughs> that's honestly how it, like if like you say poor carry on. My thought is carry on. I know you had some unlucky injuries, but beyond that, when you've been on the field, you weren't very good. Yeah. Like if you want to hold off competition, be better. Uh, yeah, I think he's a backup at this point, and in the long term, I don't think Jonathan Williams is going to be much, not a huge part of the offense. They also have Bo Scarborough there still, so oh, yeah. if uh, if Carrion is actually hurt, I don't even know which of those two or Swift would get the early down roll, but it is looking like Swift is going to be the third down running back, even in the early games in the offseason, so I'm really excited to see what he can do, and honestly, this is all just building up more excitement for Swift for me. I think he can right off the bat, be a very effective, possibly three-down back. I'm rising on Swift as well. Totally. agree with you there. This next piece of news from the New Orleans Saints isn't technically training camp news, but it is news worth discussing. And it's that the running back of the Saints, Alvin Kamara, says he tore his knee in week six and was dealing with it the whole season. This news has come out of training camp that he's had to be battling through these injuries how does this affect his stock for you heading into next year? I never lowered my stock on Kamara. I don't think we need to spend too much time on this. Disregard last season. He's a great player. When I watch tape, Alvin Kamara looks like the most special running back in the league. Like, he impresses me on every down. He is in a great offense. Don't fade Alvin Kamara. If you're doing that, you're dumb. Go buy him if you can. He's great. Yeah, I'm with it. I think if this lowers his stock for whatever reason... That is just a good time to go get him. Speaking of some what whoa news, though, Atlanta Falcons, Todd Gurley is walking with a noticeable limp at camp. 
There are reports already at camp they are trying to limit his snaps. The noticeable limp, obviously not what you want to see or hear if you're a Gurley or Falcon fan. The only thing I will say is that we haven't seen this confirmed by sources I trust, and I don't want to put too much stock into it yet. If it's true, it's super concerning. I also think if it's true, the Falcons are going to be signing someone. I don't think they would be okay with the rest of their running backs on their roster. If anything, they we talked about them before, but they would bring back Devonta Freeman for a cheap contract, mm-hmm. something like that. But yeah, you really don't want to see that if he really is already having issues with his legs, with his yeah. knees. Yeah, he's in trouble in the long term, that's for sure. Out of the Buccaneers camp, Peter King predicted that O.J. Howard will lead the Buccaneers in snaps at tight end. I also have seen another report saying that it is likely that Gronk will be the second in snaps behind O.J. Howard. So a couple sources have confirmed this and also have said that they expect that all three tight ends will see the field. So even Cameron Brait should be at least somewhat relevant on this offense. If you're Cameron Brait's agent, I don't know how he's done this. Because it shocks me he's, he's still a legend the of the game. I guess so. But yeah, I think the news does make sense to me from a tactical standpoint of the Bucks. You're still trying to use OJ Howard as he has this youth and elite talent, trying to make sure you limit Gronk's reps. I think this is just Arians doing a good job, is what I take away from this. Probably. I would say my real takeaway is that None of these guys are people I'm targeting right now. I really yeah, do think fair. that O.J. Howard needs to get out of the system to be productive. Cameron Brait is nothing. <laughs> and Rob, Gronkre- Rob Gronkowski, I really don't expect to produce significantly. I'm yeah. really fading the tight ends from the Buccaneers. I'm with it. Speaking of tight ends in that same division, for the Carolina Panthers, head coach Matt Rule declared that it is Ian Thomas's turn for the team's tight end. Now, ever since Greg Olson left, Ian Thomas has been known that it's his turn, so this isn't exactly a bombshell-breaking news, but I believe that every single report I've read about Ian Thomas at camp is that he is running the first-team reps, and he is getting a lot of reps. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good stuff that he's really impressing. Also, one thing I like about Ian Thomas is that he's not the best blocker. He's a little bit even though not in necessarily in stature, but he's similar to Evan Ingram in that way, that you know whenever he's on the field, he's not being thrown yeah. out there for the running game. He's put out there to run routes and catch the ball, and that's mm-hmm. what I really like for my fantasy tight end. I think he is a great guy to target because I think the auxiliary receiving options around Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore on that offense are big question marks to me. I'm not that hot on... Curtis Samuel, and I'm especially not that hot on Robbie Anderson. I think Ian Thomas could have a bigger role than people Mm -hmm. think in this offense. Out of San Francisco, one of the bigger pieces of news is that Jalen Hurd, someone that a lot of people had a lot of expectations for this season, has torn his ACL and he is out for the year. Super unfortunate. He missed all of last year with that back injury. Sad to see a guy who got two touchdown passes in one preseason game around this time last year. Never been in the NFL field yet. In terms of dynasty, one of the things I wanted to ask you is first, say you can't put him on a taxi or an IR. Is he 
on your roster? I guess in super deep leagues, he kind of has to be, but sure. could he be a drop candidate for you? He he can be, and he is. It's, it's disappointing, but I think at this point when you already have had multiple injuries, his college career as, as well, I went and checked, multiple injuries there. He's now missed two years in a row, and we still don't know actually how good he's going to be or how integrated he's going to be on the offense. For me, he's a drop candidate. Yeah, honestly, one report that still sticks in my mind from about a year ago is that when they drafted him, they really considered using him as a tight end, and I don't really like my wide receivers being considered as tight ends. Uh, Chase Claypool. And... (laughs) Yeah, I'm just not that excited on him. It really sucks. It's too bad. Hopefully you can just throw him on an IR spot and not worry about him, see what happens next year. But the bigger news to me is there's not that many more receiving options in San Francisco. We've already talked about some people we really like there. Of course, there's the running backs who catch a lot. There's George Kittle, the number one, huge contracts. Very excited about Kittle's prospects this year. Then you pretty much have... Brandon Ayuk and Samuel. Well, assuming he's out for the start of the year, it's I see it as Brandon Ayuk and Kendrick Bourne and maybe even Trent Taylor in the slot. Like, yeah, yeah, their their receiving options are limited, and I see it as quite an opportunity for a rookie like Brandon Ayuk and also Kendrick Bourne, who is one of my dynasty targets. I'm a bit excited about. From the Seahawks, on the opposite end of the injury news. Will Disley is practicing in full only 10 months after tearing his Achilles. It's just wild. What a legend. If he's back, man, I'm excited for him. I think he's going to be their number one tight end over Greg Olson. I am really excited about Will Disley, but he is a scary asset to own, and I would not condone anyone for (laughs) selling him as soon as he produces at all. It's honestly very reasonable to do so because... He's kind of like Will Fuller at the tight end position. He can light it up, but you just don't know if you can rely on him on a week-to-week basis at all. I like that idea of if he kind of pops off week one, ship him. <laughs> get move rid him. Of him. Yeah. Get other value. That's what I take from that. I agree. LA Rams, again, this news could be obvious to some people, but it's that Josh Reynolds is the quote-unquote steady and constant wide receiver three in front of Van Jefferson. Again, here on the Deep Dive Dynasty podcast, not big Van Jefferson fans in terms of watching his tape coming out of college. However, however, (laughs) I did like him because I think moving Brandon Cooks really provided an opportunity, but this is one of those times when sometimes your gut instinct is going to be overruled by coaches. And when I'm reading that there is a constant, steady dose of Josh Reynolds on this offense there's just no room for Van Jefferson in my rosters right now okay okay slow down Van Jefferson never should have been a player that you were looking at to be relevant in year one there are also reports coming from both McVay and Goff that they're really impressed with Van Jefferson but you have to know he's not going to be anything this year he's a taxi squad guy he absolutely should be on your roster don't say that. He should not be cut from your roster. But he's a guy that's irrelevant for this year. You have to wait a year, or you got to wait for injuries. He's going to be the fourth wide receiver for this year, and that's fine. There's a lot of rookie wide receivers that take some time. But as of right now, 
He is behind three wide receivers in a team that's likely playing only two of them for a lot of their sets. And so, yeah, he's not going to be that relevant in year one. You've got to look beyond. Our final story, the 32nd team, it's the Arizona Cardinals. And Cliff Kingsbury himself, head coach, feels like Chase Edmonds is a starting running back in the league. He has said that Chase Edmonds has starting running back skills. There have been, I believe, about three different little hype pieces from Sleeper put out in the past 72 hours, all about Chase Edmonds, all from sources on the Cardinals. Colin, how much does this affect your ranking of Kenyon Drake? It honestly does scare me a little bit, but I do hold steadfast to the fact that Kenyon Drake is going to be the starter. I'm just more scared about, in the long term, if they really do see Chase Edmonds in the way that I do and that he's very good. He's great. They, they're probably not that likely to sign Kenyon Drake, who is not a young running back anymore, to any type of extension. I could see them using Drake this year, and maybe it's Chase Edmonds with Eno Benjamin as a backup next year. Like That, that could be a quick transition. If they really like Chase Edmonds, they're not going to pay up for another guy who can work in their system if they already have one right there. Yeah, and lest we forget the performances that Chase Edmonds put up last year. Like th- this is a guy who has impressed the offense, and I think in terms of dynasty, you keep saying how about you know you're worried about what's going to happen with Drake at the end of this year. If Chase Edmonds actually does deliver on this promise of starting running back skills, this could be that starting running back, and Drake could be looking at an extremely short year. So it does it does move me move me off from Drake a little bit in terms of startup dynasty drafts yeah for sure okay guys it's that time we're gonna do our favorite segment yet again it's guess that dynasty target toby's done it chosen a player and he's gonna give me five hints one at a time and i am going to have to guess what player he is telling me to target in dynasty leagues i got a great one for you here Hmm. here's your first clip i'm a wide receiver known for my ppr attributes and I am 27 years old. Hmm, 27. So it's most likely a slot receiver. He's 27. I'm going to go with Jarvis Landry. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. First wow. guess, baby. Well done. I mean, when you think of guys in terms of their PPR value, he, he is a guy you can think mm-hmm. of. But I am impressed. I'm just going to briefly list off these facts because I took the time to write them down. Mm-hmm. Last year, I finished as the wide receiver 12 in PPR formats. I've been in the top 24 each of the last five years for PPR formats. My QB is training for a more West Coast-style offense this year. Um, And the ADP, reasonably low right now. Here's my case for Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry, 27 years old. I know that's obviously older than a lot of the rookies. Still young for a wide receiver. I believe you are still going to get four-plus years of talent out of Jarvis Landry. I believe that Baker Mayfield's most inaccurate and errant moments comes when he's forcing the ball downfield. But what he's got going on with Jarvis Landry has been one of the relatively consistent things with Baker Mayfield's passing. I think the Browns are going to take a small step up from last year. I think Mayfield and Jarvis Landry have a good connection going that's going to continue 
There's no additional presence in the slot that's going to harm him. Because I don't think Hooper's going to go there. And this is a guy who's going way too low right now. And if there are people in your dynasty league who don't think as Jarvis Landry as an attractive asset, maybe it's because of his age, maybe he's viewed as the clear wide receiver two behind OBJ, this is the time I think you should acquire him. I don't have a ton to add. He is a perennially underrated wide receiver, and he always produces more than people give him credit for. So I'm always happy to target someone like Jarvis Landry. I like it. You got to. That's it for us then this week. This has been our 18th episode of the Deep Dive Dynasty podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Deep Dive Dynasty. Until next time, I am Colin here with Toby. Peace out. Have a good one, guys.